0: morning again. Welcome to Hour 2 of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. I am Carmen LeBurge, the host of this program. Good morning to those of you listening for the very first time today on the debut of Faith 100.7 in Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, if you've got friends in Des Moines, uh, you should text them and tell them to tune in. They can tune in on their literal radios at Faith 100.7, or like everybody else, they can tune in online at MyFaithRadio.com Or on the Faith Radio app, where we broadcast around the world. And you can listen not only live, but you can listen, um, really, anytime you want. There you go. We're on demand. All right, a couple of headlines before we get to our first conversation in this hour with Kelsey Dallas of of Deseret News. Um, Let me just brief you in. Last week, we noted that U.S. journalist Danny Fenster had been um, convicted in a Myanmar uh, court to a long-term prison sentence. And we were praying on behalf of Danny and his family. And the outcome that we have prayed for, you know, thanks be to God, has been granted. So Danny Finster, U.S. journalist, has been released from a Myanmar prison um, through the diplomatic efforts, and I would say no small efforts by God. Um, So we want to thank Bill Richardson and his team for their diplomatic efforts in In the release of Danny Finster, it just highlights the need around the world for press freedom and the concerns that we have for journalists um, in places where the press is not free. A climate deal was reached, but uh, the devil is certainly in the details. When we look at the climate summit, Uh, COP26 is what it was called. It wrapped up this weekend after two weeks of speeches and protests and late night negotiations. Um, And so I just think you're going to be hearing more about in the headline news. It's always good for uh, those of us who operate out of a biblical worldview to recognize that we live a long way from Eden, right? Um, And so when people wring their hands about uh, the the changes in the climate and the challenges that people face living in particular places around the world, I think it's important for us to find our feet in those conversations, recognize that the Edenic... um, perfection that God created, the Garden of Eden, that created order, um, you know, that is not going to be redeemed um, individually or collectively by human effort, right? There's going to be a new heaven on a new earth one day, uh, and certainly we are responsible to be good stewards of the creation that God has set us over. Um, but it's a good opportunity for us to, to start talking about, you know, the reality of... Um, the end of the world, so to speak. I mean, you know, you're going to hear people talking about the climate clock. It's ticking down. I mean, you can actually like go and watch the climate clock tick down. I don't know. I think that's really dystopian. And so let's be the people who speak redemptive hope into that. I mean, is the world going to come to an end? Yeah, the world as we know it, but there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Jesus is coming back. I mean, all things are going to be redeemed. Um, So, um, all right, the president is uh, set to sign the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill into law today. He's also holding a virtual meeting with Chinese President Xi Jinping. That's probably going to head the news tomorrow. Russia is in the news as well today. A couple of things in relationship to Ukraine. Russia has amassed a hundred thousand troops on the border. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is acknowledging that that raises real concerns about the prospect of invasion. Um, Russian says that's not what they're up to, but I would say, um, hey, remember Crimea. All right. And then um, Russia is also a significant part of the conversation about what's going on on the border between Belarus and Poland. That is a migrant um, crisis that you're going to hear more and more about as well. And so let's uh, let's be recognizing that, you know, if Russia's involved, there's probably something up. And so we're going to keep um, our eyes and ears on that situation as well. And let's be, let's absolutely be praying for those precious people caught um, in that forest on the border between Belarus and Poland. They cannot go back to the places from which they have come, and they cannot go forward because of an international border. So that is um, that is cause for great concern for those of us who value each and every life. All right, Kelsey Dallas is up next. She's a reporter for the Deseret News. She's got a couple of uh, stories up on the topic of religious freedom and what's going on with a death row inmate, also what's going on at the Supreme Court. That's up next You're on Mornings with Carmen. Kelsey Dallas is one of my favorite religion news reporters. You can find her at the Deseret News. You can also find her on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Dallas. Kelsey, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me, Carmen. Absolutely. All right. So I am not going to steal your thunder. You have uh, covered this story in Ramirez versus Collier at the Supreme Court. Tell us what the Supreme Court is considering and why it matters to those of us who care about religious freedom.
2: The Supreme Court is reflecting on the religious rights of, of people on death row. So basically, as they're being put to death, what type of comfort can they receive from a spiritual advisor? And it's just a fascinating case because there's been a lot of back and forth in recent years, and it's now all come to a head um, in the Supreme Court this term. All right. And so
0: um, at issue is is a particular individual and his particular request. So who is the person at the center of it? and um and what is he requesting
2: yes his name is john henry ramirez he is an inmate in texas He was scheduled to be put to death in September, but he filed um, a a lawsuit and it put his execution on pause. And basically what he's asking for is for his Southern Baptist pastor to lay hands on him and to also vocally pray as he is put to death. Currently under Texas regulations, his pastor would be in the room with him, but would not be able to touch him or, or speak. He would just be praying to himself. And so, you know,
0: Kelsey, as you have paid attention closely um, to the arguments being made, the concerns being raised both inside and outside the courtroom, I'm wondering if there are particular themes um, or or concerns that you have heard raised that you think, um, you know, would resonate with people of faith.
2: Definitely. I've had some really fascinating conversations with spiritual advisors who have been in the execution chamber before, and they just spoke about how important the service of people like them is, that they bring this this human element to that moment of great fear for the person being put to to death and they just offer this ministry of presence that says you still have value as a person you have value in the eyes of god i'm here to pray for you and what happens is that that sort of ministry of presence can seem to interfere with what is happening in the execution chamber, the the medical precision of injecting the lethal drugs. And so that's really what Texas is arguing here is that we know that religious rights are important, but we're scared that if someone is speaking, if someone is touching this man's body, that something would go wrong with the execution and it would cause great harm and pain. And so the Supreme Court has a very difficult question in front of it. That's like, how do we balance this interest in safety and security with this important Interest in religious rights. And I think in oral arguments, um, there was a lot of wrestling going on with if we side with the religious claims, what does that lead to down the road? It got into this very interesting discussion about a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Because, you know, where one religious practice might be the laying on of hands by by one religious practitioner or pastor, someone of some other variety of faith might request something that really does seem... Um, You know, intrusive to the process that the state's trying to carry out. I recognize that. All right. The term of the week is RELUPA. RELUPA. Mm -hmm. You can't spell it because it's not really spellable. It's an acronym, Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act. How does this play in?
2: Yes, this is an important religious freedom law at the federal level, but it applies to the states. That's really where the Supreme Court has to zoom in and say, okay, we have this law in front of us. Congress said the religious freedom rights of institutionalized persons, aka inmates or prisoners, are important. Now, how do we balance these things out? And so what that law uh, lays out is a balancing test that says, is there a religious belief here that's being burdened? Um, Why is the state doing that burdening? And is there a way to offer relief that doesn't interfere with what the state is up to? And so that's where you get to that question of the state of Texas has an interest in having a safe and secure procedure. How do you sort of compare that to the inmate's interest, John Henry Ramirez's interest in having this execution, um, uh, spiritual comfort available during this execution, and and really what the Supreme Court was was challenged by is that that's a very difficult equation to work out because you're not really comparing apples to apples, if you will, but it's it's a. It's a conversation that has to take place in all sorts of religious freedom cases because that same equation about the state's interest and least compelling, least restrictive means comes up in all sorts of contexts. All right. We're talking with Kelsey Dallas. She writes at Deseret
0: News. You can find Kelsey and what she's writing and others at Deseret, D-E-S-E-R-E-T, com. Kelsey and I will be right back. All right. There's a bunch of people out there who we call religion news reporters, and they cover the religious themes or the religious headlines across the country. Uh, One of the people who does that on a regular basis, her name is Kelsey Dallas. Uh, You can follow her on Twitter at Kelsey underscore Dallas, and you can find her at the Deseret News. So, Kelsey, uh, another storyline you have been covering is a government surveillance headline um, or storyline related to religious freedom as well. What's going on here?
2: Yes. uh, Last week was definitely a busy week for religion at the Supreme Court. On Monday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case called Fazaga versus FBI. A group of Muslim men in Southern California allege that the FBI was surveilling their communities solely because of the Muslim faith, their Muslim faith. Uh, It was sort of part of that push of fear and anxiety after 9-11. And what's interesting is that the Supreme Court is not so much debating what the government was up to if it did violate religious freedom protections, but instead, how a case like this even proceeds because the government has a right to say, no, this is too dangerous to speak about. We have national security interests in mind. And so really the conversation in the case is about something called state secrets privilege and whether or not it's being abused.
0: Okay. So I think that there's people listening right now who say to themselves, all right, you know, I understand that there are things that the government needs to know about and needs to investigate but I have a hard time imagining, I know, how I would feel if I learned that the FBI was surveilling my little local church, wherever it is I live, just because we are the particular variety of Christian that we are, and suddenly they have decided that that group of people is most likely to, you know, move into the direction of, let's say, domestic terrorism. And I think for the first time, Kelsey, there are Christians thinking that way. There are certainly other religious um, groups in the United States of America who have been surveilled in the past, targeted in the past. Um, And so this this is not a new conversation, but maybe we're having this conversation in new ways.
2: That's a great point, Carmen. I was really taken by hearing these Muslim men involved in the case describe how this situation has really rocked their faith, that they suddenly were afraid to wear symbols of religion uh, to sort of appear Muslim to strangers because they felt like it came with all these upsetting assumptions that people make. And And just the idea that when you walk into a house of worship, you no longer feel at home that you feel like, "Oh no, where is the listening device, or which of these people is trying to get me to uh say something uncomfortable or to confess something and just knowing that you would always have that little niggling fear in your mind is 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 heartbreaking,
0: yeah, the very nature of a sanctuary, I think is at risk, like right the the very um the very notion of what we consider this private experience. I mean, I realize that most of our services are now broadcast streaming online anyway. So it's not it's not like what's happening in most of our sanctuaries is any longer terribly private in nature. But I don't, um, but I feel somehow differently about those things that we are sort of willingly making public and those things that somebody would be surveilling from a government perspective. And I just, it's, you know, I think it gets to the, the the conversation and the question in Houston a few years back where, you know, the mayor wanted copies of all the sermons that were delivered in a particular oh, yes. set of churches, right? Like, I feel kind of like that. And yet I have to tell you that as a Christian, I thought to myself, I hope they read every word of every sermon preached in every congregation, because maybe the gospel will find its way into their hearts and minds through this. And so, you know, I have this, as a Christian, I have this, like, mixed experience with the idea that somebody would be overhearing the gospel cuz right that seems positive to me um but this is that is not what this is about this was about targeting a particular group of people and surveilling them because of their faith and the assumptions being made about the connection between their faith and the the threat of domestic terrorism is
2: that accurate yes uh, and it, what's what's difficult is that uh Nothing, As far as the people involved know, nothing was found in the operation. Uh, They didn't do anything wrong. There are no charges filed. And so then that leaves the court with this question that's like, well, what do you do with all of this? There's a lot of hurt feelings. There's a lot of frustration. But at the end of the day, there is only the word of this man that was allegedly working for the FBI to say what was really going on in the operation. And so many, many questions remain. And if the government wins, we can't... Get the answers because the government is saying you can't even ask these questions. It's putting national mm. security at risk. Yeah, the 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 whole idea that
0: I can't ask the question about something the government did that bothers me. So there you go. That's my <clears throat> whatever. And whatever.
2: I do think this. The Supreme Court justices shared that concern. It felt like at oral arguments that they were saying, wow, it feels like we need to rein this in a little bit, because how can it be that we live in a country that the government can sort of do what it wants to do? And then there's no ability to push back.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's we the people still we the people. All right, Kelsey, what um, what are you working on now?
2: There seems to be a never-ending stream of interesting uh, religious rights cases. I am currently looking at the issue of public prayer. And so um, you might have followed that there's a potential for the Supreme Court to hear a case about a football coach that offers prayers after a game and, and was asked not to by his employer. And so now that could come up later this year. So I just want to start researching that issue of sort of what public officials are allowed to pray in public and when. And when does it cross the line into something that's considered illegal? Mm. All right. You know, kids playing football,
0: kids playing sports of all kinds are going to pray. You know, so mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, that's why these, these cases sometimes uh, just get your head spinning because it's like, okay, if, if this situation happens, yes, prayer is okay. But if this one factor is different, no, we can't allow it. And so, I really am trying to get to the bottom of that to help people out. Should the Supreme Court take up that case? Yeah, no, I think that's fascinating. I think it was just last
0: week we were talking here about um, some, you know, some school that has a like an after school club. They, They host all kinds of after school clubs. And this one's like the satanic club. And, you know, people are all up in arms like that's going to let Satan get into the schools. And I'm like, OK, seriously, if you thought Satan's just waiting around to get into the school this way, like you're not paying attention to how this all works on a spiritual Until level. There
2: so, was a flyer up on the wall. With, right. A flyer on the names. wall and
0: like an official notice by the school district that came out via an email. I'm like, you know, seriously, it's a little bit like you can't get you can't get God out of there either so easily. So I know I know you are a reporter, so you're probably not going to comment on that. And that is totally fine. We love what you're doing. We love talking with you. Thank you, um, as always, for joining us. That is Kelsey Dallas. You can find her at Deseret News. That's Deseret.com. You can also find her on Twitter. She tweets at Kelsey underscore Dallas. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right, what's going on in your household? What are the habits of your home or the habits of your household? What are the rhythms? What are the ruts? Oh, what are the things that you find yourself doing and saying that you say to yourself, I really don't want my kid to grow up in a house where this is happening? Justin Whitmull Early is um, a conversation partner who we love. He wrote The Common Rule, um, and he is now offering us habits of the household, practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms. If you recognize that there's stuff going on in terms of the rhythms or the ruts you've gotten into as a family, this is this is the redemptive conversation you've been waiting for. Justin has lived there, and he's going to teach us how to live differently. Yep. I mean, literally, it's so good. Habits of the Household. Up next, you're on Mornings with Carmen.
1: Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. This is Max Locato. Your divine reversal is coming. Assume that God is at work. Move forward as if God is moving forward in your life. Give no quarter to the voices of doubt and fear. Don't cower to the struggle. You can't see God's hand, can't make sense of his ways. That's okay. Obey what you know to do and be patient for what you don't. When the world seems off the rails, hold fast to this truth. God determines the course of history. He did in the days of Esther. He still does today. He is, according to 1 Timothy 6.15, the blessed controller of all things. This is Max Locato.
0: Justin Whitmill Early is back. We have talked with him on many occasions about the common rule. He is, I think, um, first and foremost today, I will share with you that he is the father of four young boys, along with his wife, Lauren. They are seeking to do it differently.
3: Um,
0: He is also a writer. um, He's a lawyer. Justin, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be back.
0: Okay. Habits of the household, practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms starts um, with a story of this moment when you just kind of realize, like, I this is not what I want this to feel like in my house. So can you talk about what, what this grows out of?
3: All my books so far start out of crisis, and this one is no different. <laughs> so... This was a night with my three boys where there's bath water on the floor, board books being used as weapons, and me doing my typical yelling and shouting around the house. And it was one of those nights where I put them to bed, said, you know, I love you, tried to say a short prayer, and walked outside the room and realized, oh my gosh, this is our normal. Our normal is to just be chaos and me yelling. And, and I sort of got desperate for a way to rethink the normal habits of my household.
0: And you went through um, every part of the day: waking, meals, time, meal times, discipline, screen time, family devotions, marriage. I think that's an essential chapter in this. Work, play, yes. conversation, bedtime, um, and then I, I definitely want to talk about the family age chart that's in the epilogue because that's one of my favorite mm-hmm. resources produced in here. So let's um, let's wander around in the content of this book. Um, if if you could If you could only tell people one thing about habits of the household is it is it the conversation about changing what 's normal
3: Yes, I think if I wanted to tell people one thing, it would just be to have them realize that you become your habits and your children become you. so the norms of your life as a parent in the household are really, really fundamental to the ways your child is growing to be like God or not like him far more than what we say or do uh, far more than what we say you know what we do what the norm is is really the thing that's forming our children so what i try to do is just look at the regular moments of the day that you just named waking sleeping you know screen time moments of discipline and ask how could our habits how could our normal ways of interaction with each other become ways that are pushing us into the message of the gospel before we even open our mouth.
0: So let's um let's go back to the moment of recognizing I don't I don't want it I don't want it to be like this. I don't want every night to be screaming and yelling and, you know, taking weaponized board books away and <laughs> ordering people to bed and telling them to stay there and then, you know, tucking them in and saying, you know, I love you and walking out the door. Like, I don't want that. So what's the first step in changing that, re- changing that normal?
3: Well, you know, an important first step for me was that while I don't want this chaos of kids, it was to understand and admit that kids are chaotic and that's actually okay. You don't have to be. So part part of it for me was realizing, wait a minute, the whole message of the gospel is that Jesus loves me right here in my mess, the way that I am, and then I respond out of that. And I think what I realized in the wake of that evening was that I was saying the gospel to my kids sometimes, you know, God loves you no matter what good things or bad things you do, but I really wasn't acting like that. My response as a parent was based on how they're acting at the moment. And so what I, was, was, what I really realized first was that parenting is really messy and that's okay, but we can be like Jesus is to us in those moments and come in and say, in your mess, I'm gonna be steady. In your mess, I'm gonna come and I'm gonna love you anyway. And that was good news, because then I, was, I started to rethink all these moments of the day and think, how can I embody that gospel message that God loves us no matter what good or bad things we do in all sorts of periods of the day?
0: Yeah, I also think there's just so much in here and again we're talking with uh, Justin Early about his brand new book Habits of the Household Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. Um it is just excellent. The bedtime liturgy is awesome. The the family age chart is amazing. Um the conversation about discipline as discipleship is uh transformative. Um so you this is a book that if you are a parent um, you're going to want, and yes we're giving away copies today, so you can text the word "book" to eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four justin um, i don't even remember where I started hmm. um, before I told people that we're giving away books because I got all excited about that um let's do this <laughs> let's 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 pivot to a conversation about um, relating to the people who are under my roof, recognizing that there is a period of time in which they've been entrusted to me um, by God for their spiritual nurture. Like, this is the season during which we have the opportunity Mm. to live under a roof together, and that is short. That is a brief time period. Um, I I feel like you moved from sort of, this is my household and these are my kids, to this is a household where we are all growing up together in the fear and admonition of the Lord,
3: yes, yes, I think one of the neat things about habits is they allow you to look at the short game and the long game because mm. you look at you look at a habit of let's say, you know what do I say to you in moments of discipline, and yes, that is about the moment, and that's the beauty of habits that you can you can practice being gracious and firm, being full of grace and truth in the moment, but then the wonderful things about habits is that they aggregate. They become the family norm, the family culture, the way that you just are. And that's where you really zoom out and think, oh, by focusing on these small ordinary moments, I'm focusing on actually creating a life together, just the same way you put a puzzle together. You're looking for this one piece, but really what you're doing is you're building a masterpiece. And so I I think I I had this moment um, where I was randomly one day, in a coffee shop, finishing some work, and I started to write down the ages of my kids over time. For some reason, it just got stuck in my head, and I made this little chart of how old my wife and I would be and how old they would be for the next you know, 30, 40 years, I think. And it was just one of those moments where on a small square, on a small piece of notebook page, I saw this movement of our future. And instead of overwhelming me, I just thought, oh my gosh, we are building a life together. We, we, I, I have them for this set of years and that's it. How could I make the culture and the feel and the habits of this set of years uh, one that helps, slants them into the love of God, slants them into the arms of Jesus? Because I won't always have them. And that was a really important moment for me. And I offer that age chart process to parents in the, in the epilogue of the book. I just think it's such a great thing to do to get inspired for the big and little things you're doing in parenting.
0: Yeah, and you talk about in that these future realities that you know will be true at those points in time. And so what do we need to be doing today? Um, You know, what are the habits today that are going to either help them in that or hinder them in that? Um, And then as a parent, what's my responsibility in terms of helping them, you know, live into a habit today that's going to serve them at that future point in their life. It's just, it's so good. All right, so that is um, in a section of the book called Parenting Between the Now and the Not Yet. It's the family age chart. It is a part of um, Justin Early's new book, Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. We're giving away copies today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing, and we'll be right back. All right. We are talking with Justin Whitmore early. You can find him online. Uh, we are talking today about habits of the household, practicing the story of God in everyday family rhythms. Um, Justin, let's um, let's turn, if we can, to the arc of discipline in the chapter yes. um, on discipline in the book, because I, I think that, um, you know, there's been so many conversations about parenting over, let's say, the last 40 mm-hmm. or 50 years. We didn't all grow up in households where authority was positively exercised. That word is troublesome to some people. There were people listening right now who were raised by parents who were totally convinced it would just be best for kids to raise themselves. And so they don't have a Mm. model for this at all. So um, can you talk with us about the arc of discipline?
3: This was one of my favorite chapters to write, I think because it's one of the hardest chapters to write. I mean, my boys ranged between nine and two during the writing of this book. And discipline is just a constant reality in my house. I know I, people are listening. I hope you're encouraged by that. I mean, it is all the time, you know, we are trying to reorient somebody to, to, to good instead of uh, to bad and fighting and conflict. And um, well, I think one of the things that I realized while working on this chapter was that habits are important for discipline because Parents' instincts in those moments can be so bad. Uh, If you're like me, your instinct in a moment of discipline is to um, anger, it's to control, it might be to shame, it's to anything that helps get the situation back to normal. And what I want parents to think about is that 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 is not what our kids need. Our kids are not looking for behavior management. What our kids need more than anything, just like us, is a transformed heart we call that discipleship, and the difference between discipleship and discipline is huge you know so i 'm trying to encourage parents to rethink their moments of discipline as moments of discipleship now that 's a tall order you know when you 're at the grocery store and somebody 's throwing a temper tantrum in the aisle and that 's why I encourage parents to think about habits in that so I give a range of um, about eight habits anywhere from establishing authority, to using pauses and body language to try to get into your child's heart and head, and then just practicing consequences, confession, and ultimately reconciliation. Because discipleship in the story of God is about us becoming with God again, reconciled to Him. So I try to think about how we're practicing that biblical arc of reconciliation and all these small moments of discipline.
0: Um, I was listening yesterday to a conversation about um, police reform, and um, they were talking about the need to send a person of peace into the situation who was a non-anxious presence to sort of bring the temperature Mm. down and help the person who was, you know, not a criminal, but a person in some level of emotional or social distress, right? And Mm. the, the situation is quickly moving in the direction of Um, they're going to just tase them and slap cuffs on them and throw them in the ambulance because the person needs to go to the hospital to get someone like, right? And so this person, this person of peace is the person who's brought in and sits down cross-legged next to the person who's, you know, in a huddled mess on the sidewalk and Mm. does exactly what you're talking about. And because I'd been reading the book, I'm thinking to myself, we have a whole culture, an entire culture populated by broken hurting individuals who were mm. who have been disciplined in the home and are now being disciplined in the culture instead of yes. recognizing this is a this is a precious person for whom I need to pray. I need to hit the pause button. We need to talk about the emotional situation that they're in. Like all of this is good for us That's as so a good. culture, not just inside our homes with our kids.
3: Absolutely. I, I think one of the big revelations of working on this chapter of discipline to me was remembering how much more we are similar to our kids than mm-hmm. that we are dissimilar. I mean, we are all just sort of these hurting messes inside who lash out when they're angry, who get mad when other people take their stuff, who don't like to wait, who want what they want now. And I think a lot of the habits of pausing, um, sitting down and understanding what the child listening But then being honest with consequences, honest with authority and moving them intentionally to confession and reconciliation. These are all the habits in the discipline chapter. Um, They really they move us from seeing our kid as a problem that needs to be solved to a human being that needs to be loved just like us. And what I hope is that these habits can help parents act a little bit more like the way Jesus acts to us and that is that he is the firm authority who will save us from ourselves yes but he is also a loving non-anxious presence who comes and comes down to us right he comes down to earth and dies for us just like we can get down on one knee and be there with a kid or like and i love what you're talking about then uh, you know getting on the sidewalk with somebody who's in trouble and helping them stay out of more trouble it's a it's a beautiful thing that we get to do when we when we get to discipline as discipleship
0: Yeah, and I know that you're just now, um, you know, having the opportunity to talk about this book, but I'm, of course, um, I'm, of course, hoping there's a next one, because we have this entire culture of people, adults, I mean, they're physically adults, they're, you know, of major age, and yet they have a completely undisciplined, literally undisciplined life. Mm.
2: And Mm. that's
0: the, that's the crisis we're in as a, as a family culture, like, (laughs) If the whole culture is a family, um, then the crisis of discipline that we find ourselves in is one we got to figure out how to circle back around um, and, you know, and say, okay, this is not normal and this is not okay. So how do we change the habits that are producing these these outcomes and results? And how do we help adults who were never disciplined and never taught self-discipline? Um, yes. or the importance of it, like, how do we help people become self-governing as individuals in order that right. we can be a self-governed people? I know that's not the subject matter of this book, but of course, <clears throat> I'm egging you on to write the next one.
3: So the book we're talking <laughs> well, about today- I was on mind, though, when, we were, <laughs> when I was writing oh, no, well, this, you're... we were in the middle of the pandemic and, and the, the racial riots. And mm-hmm. I, I started the book with a quote that's often attributed to Frederick Douglass. It is easier to raise strong children than repair broken men and women. Because Mm -hmm. one of the things that I thought as I looked out into the chaos of the world was there is so much I want to do, but this little house right here is what I'm given to steward right now. There is so much that I want to do in the world, but to raise whole sons, you know, sons Mm -hmm. that will grow up to be actual men, not just boys and men's bodies. I thought this might be one of the most redemptive things I can give the world right now, because everything you just said, Carmen, is true. It is hurting. We we struggle. We have so many problems, and I, I I just want to encourage parents that one of the best things that you can do for a hurting world is to raise strong sons and daughters who love Jesus and send them out into that world.
0: There's so much that I want to do, but this this house, this place, is where I can raise whole sons, not just little boys in men's bodies. Yeah. That is the calling of being a father. That's the calling of parenting. Justin, you could not have said it better, and you could not transform the world in any more significant a way than to be shepherding the hearts and lives of Wit, Asher, Coulter, and Shep. Um, we celebrate that you do that in partnership with your precious wife, and we thank you for sharing not only the vision, but the practice, the practice of transforming habits in your own household into habits that are going to produce men um, who are who are good and godly. Um, so thank you. The book is Habits of the Household, Practicing the Story of God in Everyday Family Rhythms. We are giving away copies today. Text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Justin, um, thank you so very much. What a gift. Thank you. We'll be right back.
2: Oh, I know all I owe I owe
3: I owe, I owe I all I, I, I owe and I know I
2: owe, okay this
0: little ditty that Paul Perot has <laughs> teed up is so we can once again say good morning Des Moines you gotta say it, I don't right. know you did it better
1: you Good it better. morning
0: Des Moines Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. not as good as Robin Williams, but we um, we love the people of Iowa. We love the people of the state where you live, no matter where you are uh, tuning into today. But we are celebrating that we are on air at 100.7 in Des Moines, Iowa. And we just wanted to say good morning to you. Welcome to the Faith Radio Network. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. We do this every weekday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. Central Uh, And we, uh, we, it's available all the time at myfaithradio.com. It's available on the Faith Radio app. We'd love for you to share it with others. What, what are we doing here? Well, we're trying to bring the mind of Christ to bear on the headline news of the day. We're trying to equip listeners to walk their faith out into the world that God so loves and do so in ways that honor Jesus. Like I'm, I'm trying to come alongside you in the conversations of the day so that, you know, you've got a friend, like, right? Carmen is with you as you're standing there trying to answer um, a challenging question that's being raised in the culture. You're not, you're, not, you're not alone. I mean, the Holy Spirit is empowering you. You are a person of Christ and therefore a person of peace in that situation, and we're in it with you and together. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll see you right back here tomorrow. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio.